Thanks for tuning in to the Replatform Podcast sponsored by Attraction Hypersonics. Today, it's just myself, James Gerd. Um, I've got another cracking episode for you lined up. So hello to regular listeners. Thanks for joining again and a warm welcome. It's your first time. I hope you like it. Do subscribe online. You get new episode alerts to your inbox every week. And we'd love a like on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, etc., to make us feel very happy about ourselves. So our topic today is the evolution and current state of e-commerce payments. And we're going to talk about payments with Molly. And Molly isn't the name of our guest. For those of you who haven't heard of Molly, leading payments provider globally. They currently support more than 130,000 businesses across a broad range of industries. We're going to be covering global payment trends for e-commerce, integrations and um, payments testing and key features in the platform for things like recurring payments. So big welcome to, to Josh Guthrie, he's a UK country manager. How are you, Josh? Hey, James. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, despite the fog, doing all right. Excellent. So... Um, I guess you've got you uh, you've got some interesting background in the payments industry, but also for retail e-commerce experience and swoon. So you, you've got the retailer perspective as well as the the technology perspective. Yeah, that's right. So um, I joined Molly, having worked in in e-commerce at a retailer for a number of years before that. Um, payments wasn't a huge part of what I'd done there, but it was a, a, a part of what I'd uh, experienced, and we ran a, a number of projects around it. So when I joined Molly. Um, there were a number of things that really stood out about the approach that I thought were really interesting and really valuable. So um, that's you know the key reason why I joined in the first place. Excellent. And for those who uh, who don't know Molly well, um, can you just do a bit of positioning? Like, what what is Molly? Where does it sit in the market? Yeah, for sure. So we're a payment provider, really focused on online payments. Although last year we have started supporting offline payments through select partners in Europe for the first time. We've also launched our first financial services product, uh, Capital, which will be available to UK businesses this year. Uh, the business was started in 2004 in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, where we're headquartered. We've grown really rapidly in the last couple of years uh, into new focus markets, including the UK. Um, you know, From the beginning, the business has really been set out to uh, cater for growth and support growth of businesses of all sizes. So whether you're just getting started with your first time web shop, or if you're a more established business, uh, in the mid or upper market, then you know we're here to support you. Uh, we now power payments for 130,000 businesses across Europe. They're largely SMEs. And in terms of our kind of technology or platform focus, we are platform agnostic with uh, integrations into all the leading uh, e-commerce platforms as well as the other key parts of the tech stack for retailers. Excellent. Thanks very much. And f- first question, I think there's a bit of um, scene setting around the e-commerce payments um, trends is, if you do a bit of a summary for people, what are the most important global e-commerce payment trends that Molly's been seeing in the last 12 months? And like, I guess, what, what does it mean for retailers? Let's start with, with UK and Europe. Yeah, sure. So um, firstly, for anyone who wants to find out any more about this, we've got a great new uh, bit of content that we put out, our 2023 e-commerce playbook with lots and lots of trends and, and kind of predictions, both from internally at Molly, but also from a wide range of our partners. I would really encourage people to go and learn more uh, about that there. Um, but a couple of the trends that we've seen uh, super common. So I think one is uh, around mobile wallets and the growth there and the you know in- increased popularity. So um, what we've seen bringing customers onto Molly for the first time uh, last year, where if they're offering uh, wallets for the first time, uh, we see a really rapid uh, share of checkout taken by mobile wallets. So we've seen retailers go from Obviously, Zero not offering it before to sort of 15% share of checkout almost immediately uh, and, and upwards. Um, and we think that that's really kind of backed up by 
the level of convenience that it offers to consumers. So the, the, the payment method being so well integrated into their devices, uh, but also the security that it offers uh, retailers too. So we think that that's really well set to continue in terms of popularity. And it, I have interest in that. So I've seen, I mean, for a while I've seen with people who've got iOS dominant um, customer bases at Apple Pay has, has grown massively. I don't know, I've even seen like 30% plus on some sides. For, for customers who are, have got like broader demographic, what are the other, which are the other wallets? Are, are you seeing a lot of um, Amazon Pay creeping in? Um, what else apart from Apple Pay has really grown in the last 12 months? Yeah, so we, we, we've really seen uh, Apple Pay and that's the kind of focus with the product that, that we offer. Um, but for sure, I think popularity around Google Pay will continue to, to grow. Um, Amazon Pay, I think, is interesting and we op operate across Europe. So in some markets, we've definitely seen that got to a, a higher share than others. I think uh, in certain parts of Europe versus the UK, definitely seen that got to a larger position at the moment. But I think you know the thing that they uh, all have in common is that element of convenience, the element of security. So I think that they will certainly uh, continue to grow. And, um, I've seen some conflicting data over the years about how the importance of some alternative payment methods in Europe. I know historically things like SEPA in Germany, um, so forth, et cetera, are really strong, but there's been some declines in some of these areas. Can you talk through like what have you seen in Europe outside of like standard card and mobile wallets? What's What's been happening? For sure. So... Um... I guess first thing first, uh, being able to offer a wide range of European alternative payment methods is a, is a key part of our proposition. And bringing all of those into one place is, you know, something that uh, is a core part of the value that we offer retailers. So it's something that you know we really believe in, and we've got a lot of history working with those uh, payment methods that you referenced, and many more in Europe. And I think what we see is that. Um, Every country is different, right? So um, from the UK perspective, I think it will be surprising to many people who are, uh, if you're a retailer looking to expand for the first time abroad, um, you're not going to necessarily think about needing to localize payment methods as something that should be high up on your radar. But what we see is that the different countries are so different in terms of the payment methods that have a high share of checkout. So the probably the, the top example from Molly's perspective, uh, having you know, growing up and been found in the Netherlands is ideal, which is a bank-to-bank -bank, uh, payment method in uh, the Netherlands, which accounts for you know, over 60% of online transactions there. Um, and so that's a clear consumer preference to pay with that payment method. Um, and so we've seen uh, both conversion uplift, but also just rapid uh, take of share of checkout when introducing that payment method for those markets. Uh, if a retailer, for example, had initially expanded into one country offering only cards that would be relevant there, bringing in the European payment methods uh, really uh, rapidly take share. And what have you, what do you notice in terms of buy now, pay later? Because for, for certain um, certain verticals are seeing really big take up, um, especially in verticals where there's a lot of luxury elements product set and there's an aspirational audience and therefore they necessarily have the, the cash in one go to do it. Are you seeing buy now, pay later consistently across markets, or is it quite concentrated into into the UK and a few leading markets? No, we're seeing it really consistently uh, for sure. And I think, yeah, like you said, one of the interesting things about it is it has, uh, and I think it increasingly is broadening out its popularity uh, and the demographic that it is uh, appealing to. Um, I think you know that there may also be an element of. The, cert, the macro background at the moment um, where it's actually, you know, consumers are thinking, how can they 
buy more flexibly? How can they buy and smarter and using different uh, ways of paying? So I think one really interesting thing that we've seen is looking specifically at Black Friday, comparing 2022 to 2021, we saw the um, volume of buy now, pay later and transactions through our platform increased by 57% year on year, which is really significant growth. Um, and you know, again, I think some of the things around the payment method in terms of it's a short-term uh, line of credit, it's tied to a specific purchase, uh, often very convenient to use. Again, I think um, you know where ret- uh, where consumers are looking to use a form of credit. You know, we really think buy now, pay later will continue to to, to really post really strong growth. But you, what I've noticed when I when I'm involved in in um, you know replatforming projects and select technology selection projects is previously the payments focus was purely on okay, what what are the fees? How much is it going to cost me? I've seen, although that's obviously always important for the finance team. Um, I've seen increasingly more selections around what what um, methods like buy now pay later do you support natively versus where you have to have them in as an as an extra integration. Have you, as a payment specialist, have you guys seen that in, in RFPs and more people being more demanding about what you support natively? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, taking it back to the, to, to my experience in retail previously and coming to Molly. This was the kind of number one thing that stood out to me as a as a really important part of the approach, which was, you know, we as a business, uh, having worked at Swoon, we spent a lot of time integrating multiple payment methods into our platform, having to set up multiple processes around that, um, which you know does cause complexity, it costs time and effort. The Molly approach to have all of the uh, payment methods that we offer available in one integration. Uh, that can be self-serve managed from your uh, dashboard uh, and quickly and, and easily enabled once you're up and using Molly. Um, that has felt like something coming to Molly that was really, really valuable. And I think we are seeing that become more and more expected, uh, whether it's an RFI, RFP or uh, other uh, conversations that we're having with retailers. There's a real kind of focus for, okay, well, you know, what's the full breadth of what we can offer? Uh, if we start with a certain set of payment methods, how easy is it for us to make changes and to add on extras if we go to new uh, countries? How easily can we enable those? So I think you're absolutely right that um, that flexibility and the convenience and ease of having that is becoming more and more an expectation uh, for retailers. And, uh, I guess something that'd be useful to, for for people who haven't looked at your your model and how you work from a, a charging point of view is you support major global and local payment methods, and it's a single agreement. People are used to the fact that you have transaction fees, you have payment processing fees. Can you just clarify, how does it work? So do you build directly, if all of the payment methods you support natively through that agreement, do you build directly for all of the fees or do merchants have to pay any part of the fee direct to like, payment points? No, good question. Yeah, so uh, by offering everything all in one place, you know, we're able to offer billing all in one place as part of that. Uh, so you have a really simple breakdown and statement of the fees uh, that are rolled up from across the different payment methods that you might be offering. Um, the only exception there that we have is with PayPal, where there are direct fees uh, to PayPal. Otherwise, all of the payment methods that we offer uh, will be billed in one uh, single statement. Um, and, and I think you're definitely right that you know overall, um, when retailers are considering uh, the, the kind of choice of payment provider now, I think price is always going to be a key part uh, of any choice, um, but I think it's you know now the expectation around the convenience, the ease, the about the ability to get multiple payment methods, simple integration means that it's really only one consideration for them rather than the consideration these days. 
Yeah, it, it definitely the benefit of having it where you don't have to then go through new development and integration cycles for adding payments. I was having this with a client recently who's on a, a Shopify. And they're on. They're looking at Shopify payments, which similar similar thing. But the the benefit providers like yourself have been to say, well, okay, you want to turn on buy now, pay later. We're not going to have to spend thousands of pounds doing a, a uh, an assessment project and a sizing project. You just need to have that agreement, get that enabled, and then turn that on. It's definitely and, advantage. Yeah, and I think one really good example. So Dimshark have been a customer of ours since 2019, really focused on that European payment piece. Um, and last year, uh, before Black Friday, they wanted to turn on a, a, a number of new uh, Euro European alternative payment methods to cater to the markets that they're growing into. Um, and up against you know some really tight deadlines of Black Friday, code freeze, opening their new store or their first physical store, uh, we were able to really quickly switch those on for them. Which then again took a really you know, decent share of checkout um, from those markets over the uh, peak period. Attract your complete product discovery growth engine. Create relevant shopping experiences that convert into sales and grow online revenue with personalized search, merchandising, and recommendation solutions powered by AI. Find out more at attract.com. And um, what is, I know, I know fee structures can't be simply art articulated in one, one number, but how, how does it work um, in principle? Like, is, it, is it flat rate based? Is it based on um, uh, payment method? You know, for example, people are used to things like um, uh, interchange plus plus rates with other providers, or they're in, they, they get different rates based on their GMV, their sales threshold. So can you talk people through a high level how the fee structures work? Yeah, absolutely. So typically, you'll have either a blended rate offered by a payment provider or an IC++ uh, rate. So with a blended rate, you essentially get the kind of all-in cost for that payment method or the, that range of payment methods. And uh, the way that payment methods are the cost structure set up is a little bit different. So you'll typically pay uh, different amounts for different payment methods that you offer. But for those payment methods, you'll have a you know, single price uh, that you pay, which means that it's really easily understood. Uh, you can really easily calculate, you know, for a certain level of revenue or volume, um, how much are my fees going to be in total, uh, and that I need to cover as a as a retailer. On the other hand, you have uh, uh, the IC++ or Interchange++ uh, method of pricing, where the price is essentially broken down into different components. So you have the kind of processing fee that is taken by the payment provider. And then you have the fees uh, paid directly to the schemes, um, so the interchange and scheme fees. Now, the, the challenge with that is that the amount that you're often quoted or maybe quoted by the payment provider won't be the all-in cost that you are paying for those payment methods. Um, and in fact, you need to then go in, uh, essentially add in the additional components of the price. Um, so you know, it's, it's really important to understand as a retailer for your margin, which uh, price you're on. At Molly, you know, our color values originally um, and have always been around simplicity, around transparency. So for that reason, we offer blended prices. Uh, it will be um, a mixture of a fixed fee and a variable fee typically, but it, you know, means that retailers have the confidence, have the knowledge that they are paying kind of all in uh, an all in price that they can you know forecast out that they can you know simply uh, understand um and in terms of kind of pricing in terms of you know merchant size uh tiering gmv thresholds we can absolutely do that 
especially for larger customers working with our direct sales team, then we you know have the ability to set tiered pricing, for example. And we've got a customer success team that work really closely with our customers uh, as they grow to make sure that the prices that they're uh, paying are appropriate for their size. So um, I'm assuming by fixed plus barrel, you're talking about a percentage transactionally plus a fixed like um, euro or dollar or pounds, like 20 pence or whatever per transaction on top. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. And I think it's it's always good for any retailer um, who's looking to make a, a choice or evaluating what's out there. I think, you know, you can definitely ask of your, uh, you know, uh, payment provider, the companies that you're talking to, to help build an illustration. Definitely worth asking about the blended versus uh, IC++. Uh, and, you know, I think re- they should really help you understand exactly what it means for your business if you're going to onboard uh, such a critical part of your um, operations to a new provider. Yeah, I fully agree. I've gone through a process with the uh, business at the moment because depending on what the split is, if you've got stores, the split between online and offline, the, in, the in-store digital transactions and the different rates, and then it's the different payment sites. And I think a lot of people underestimate this. They look at it, they go, oh, we've got a thousand transactions a month. Um, we can work there. So then you go, actually, but how many of those are Amex? How many of them are Visa, MasterCard, the buy now, pay laters? And yeah, the blended rate offers simplicity and that helps finance teams. But you're right that people need to model it properly. And they need to think about where the growth is going. So if they're suddenly going to jump up on a particular provider that's got a higher rate naturally, they need to factor that into their cost model. 100%, yeah. And I think it's just really, really good advice to work with the payment providers to to get their view of how that would change, what the shift would be. Uh, they should be really well set up to uh, to help with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you, so Molly uses multiple acquirers. Um, for anybody who's who's not gone through like payments strategy and implementation for, could you just articulate what is the benefit to the retailer of you having multiple acquirers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, an acquirer is a is a is a company, an entity that participates directly in the schemes, um, and there are many different payment schemes uh, out there. Um, so, we as Molly, in order to offer all of the twenty five plus um, payment methods that we offer through our uh, platform, we work with uh, acquiring partners who participate directly in the schemes to be able to offer the payment methods that we do at scale, at speed, um, and to you know really deliver that breadth. In terms of for retailers, what it means for them, well, on the one hand, working with multiple acquiring partners uh, for the different payment methods means that we have reliability. So if anything were to happen um, with one acquiring partner, we'd be able to reroute and essentially make use of another. Um, it also brings optimization, both in terms of performance, so that we can look at you know, is a certain acquiring partner performing better than another on, uh, you know, a number of different performance metrics, uh, but also cost uh, and the value that we're then able to pass on to our retailers. Um, so for, yeah, for those reasons, we work with a number of acquiring partners. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I got, I, I got a nice question for you now from, I, I threw this one in because of personal experience uh, in, in bygone days of integrations of payment, which is around payment testing. Mm. Critical parts of pre-launches, have you tested end-to-end all the different payment methods? And I've seen challenges in the past of connecting to sandboxes for some of the payment methods like Apple Pay. So how does Molly handle testing? What what capabilities do you give to to merchants to do proper testing prior to launch? Yeah, yeah, really, really good question. So we um, firstly try and make it really easy for uh, retailers to uh, get to a point where they can do testing. 
So anyone can sign up on our uh, website, create an account, and get through to test API keys pretty rapidly. Um, so you have access to those. Um, for larger merchants, we also have sales engineers that are on hand to uh, help work through uh, any testing plans that you might have, or if you want help creating one, uh, then that as well. So that's the first thing we, you know, give really quick and easy access to, to test API keys, uh, as well as you know, really clear uh, documentation that's available. Specifically on the uh, on the Apple Pay question, which is a good one. So I think uh, you know, kind of credit to a Apple Pay here, and we some of the things that we were talking about earlier in terms of the uh, rapid um, share of checkout that we've seen come from mobile wallets and Apple Pay in particular. Um, it's a really secure payment method, right? And that's part of you know why it's popular and why it's done so well and why it continue will continue to do so. What that means from a testing perspective is it's not super easy to trick it into showing you. Uh, the types of testing uh, screens uh, that you might want to do. Um, so it's kind of by design that it might be tricky to do that. What we do, and, and that's true for, for Molly as well, but we do have ways around it. So what you can do at Molly is uh, in your uh, profile, in your uh, account and dashboard, if you, uh, as a retailer, enter your staging environment as a website profile, then you're then able to uh, have that uh, validated by us you can then use your live API keys once your account is set up. So not uh, uh, available as early as a test API keys, but our onboarding process is pretty rapid anyway. So uh, once you get through to your live API keys, then you'll then be able to uh, have uh, live, API, live Apple Pay payments and do testing that way, but in your testing and staging environment. Right, okay. So you, you can run it end-to-end uh, in your staging, but it's actually a live payment, so you would have to go through the process of doing the like the, the refund, et cetera, onto your, onto your card. So you'd be using real card data, basically. You would be using, yeah, so it would be a, a live a live payment. Your yeah. refund process uh, typically isn't super painful. Um, depends, obviously, what your testing program is and uh, the level of volume that you want to put through this. And we can also potentially support if there's anything that we need to um, make bulk changes to. But, you know, that's a way that we are able to give retailers access to that in a, you know, environment that they're uh, testing in. Yeah, and I'm testing the full end-to-end, -end, including the refund piece, is important because customer services teams want to know that that piece works as well. Um, and you've also got a recurring payments feature, and you know, we, we both know that recurring payment subscriptions have, uh, have increased in popularity, specifically over the last few years. It's a big growth there in e-commerce. I'd love to know um, what what payment methods uh, are working for recur recurring payments. How how's it working? Um, and what sort of features are you enabling? Because recurring payments aren't static. They do change. You know, people pause, they cancel, they change frequencies. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I think subscriptions, uh, again, if you uh, head to our e-commerce playbook that we recently published, you'll find a whole uh, section on subscriptions and the outlook for that. It's also um, you know, something that we work with on a number of partners and have seen definitely a uh, a real increase in demand for over re uh, recent years. So yeah, absolutely. Like I said we've got a recurring set of APIs that uh, we've built into plugins, but retailers can also build with custom if they'd like. So we offer recurring payment methods for all of the card types that we support uh, globally, um, and um, we also support it for uh, direct debit, uh, separate direct debit in Europe, where the initial payment in that case is made via one of a number of payment methods that are available in, in Europe. So one example would be Ideal, which is the Dutch 
bank to bank payment method where making an initial payment with ideal can then you know count as the mandate that uh, authorizes the ongoing direct debit to be taken by the retailer so that's something that we offer um in europe offer cards globally and it's something that for sure uh, we're thinking about in the uk how we can offer uh, you know direct debit in a most the most convenient way for retailers here and in terms of subscriptions um, my assumption but i always like to test assumptions because they're dangerous is they basically just falls into the standard um payment fees right because it's going to be paid on a on a card for example um or are there any are there any different charging mechanisms for subscription so if you use molly uh so for example with either building custom with our recurring apis or um through um one of our extensions for example uh into one of the e-commerce platforms where we have specific kind of recurring extensions for those platforms then yeah absolutely as you said it will be charged as per uh, normal uh, rates uh, like for uh, like for like with kind of one-off payments um so yeah absolutely and i think in terms of the other question you asked around uh, functionality so we have uh, a set of extensions that uh, are available on the kind of major e-commerce platforms that allow retailers to control some of the functionality that you'd expect um whether that's yeah storing pausing cancelling for example it's typically uh set up for the most common use cases which would probably be uh, a fixed interval physical product you know rather than something that is highly customized uh, modifiable every time uh, uh different types of goods for example um and that's based on you know the re thos when we're developing uh, any product whether it's a, a core or it's a, a platform integration um we're really driven by the consumer demand and so what we found in that case of you know more kind of complex subscriptions is that it's made sense for us to partner with uh, companies so for example charge b is a great partner of ours allows you to do really complex and interesting stuff with subscriptions and um, so a lot of the time we would recommend businesses to work with molly plus charge b if they're looking for something uh yeah super customized because as you said it can get pretty funky uh, in terms of what businesses want to do with uh, with subscriptions and recurring products. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've seen that, especially in, in in verticals like beauty, um, where where sometimes people don't want to lose a subscription customer, but the customer no longer needs the same frequency, um, or they want to go on a holiday. Holidays are a classic thing. Um, and you talk you talk um, briefly about direct debits, and we had a little conversation about this um, when we were planning it. So I'd love to love to ask that question is um you talked about it in like Germany, for example. Um what's what's Molly's current support for things like the direct debit e-mandate online and how core have you found direct debit to the UK customer base? And do you see this change in it? Yeah, absolutely. So um in Europe, we will typically so the way that we approach the mandates, and you can find this uh, documented online if you're interested in, in finding out more. Um so Consumers can set up a, well, if I stack it, set it back. So with a, a direct debit, you need to create a mandate uh, to give a, uh, a business um, authorization to take money directly from your bank account. Um, and so in Europe, the way that we uh, do this is with a initiated payment from the consumer via one of a number of different payment methods. So I gave the example of Ideal in the Netherlands. So this essentially creates the mandate uh, for the direct debit to uh, be set up. The old world equivalent of this is, uh, you know, signing a form and sending off a paper uh, registration for a um, 
for a direct debit. So yeah, in uh, Europe with the SEPA scheme, we uh, authorize and set up mandates that way, which is a really convenient way to do it. If you compare it certainly to the old school way of uh, filling in a form and sending that off. Um, and I think looking at the UK specifically, we um, you know definitely see increases in subscriptions and it's a real growth area that we want to support more and more. Um, a lot of the time, the businesses that we work with are happy to offer card subscriptions. Um, certainly for, I think, you know, to your point, bringing it back to certain types of demographic, uh, what their expectations are, but what their preferences are in terms of way to pay is probably more aligned to, you know, using their card to set up a, a recurring payment rather than necessarily uh, a direct debit directly with their bank account, uh, you know, including filling in a form potentially. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Um, and a question I got on one of the the features uh, or functionalities, when I what terminology you want to use in Molly, which I think is quite cool, is, is payment requests. Yeah, I've seen this use case come up a lot where um, e-commerce teams need to get a new payment. So this could be a an exchange where they might have cancelled the old one and they need to get a new um, transaction done, or there might be a change to the existing order with the customer's updated. So jewelry is a great example. Customer changes a ring setting, they're doing an engagement ring, and there needs to be an additional payment taken. Can you talk people through what payment requests are and, and what functionality Molly provides for this? Yeah, absolutely. And totally agree with you. I think we've seen a lot of interest in this uh, from businesses that have uh, come onto the platform recently. So we've seen some really interesting success stories with it. So I think at, uh, at a high level, um, you know, what a payment request allows you to do is send a um, link to a customer uh, for them to make a payment, uh, almost using the same sort of setup and environment that they would if they were at a checkout, but uh, in an, you know sent to them directly for a specific purchase. Um, the benefits of this, I think, that we've seen um, you know retailers really enjoy is one around simplifying operational processes. So you know one of the alternatives to this is around uh, taking payments. Uh, you know, over the phone, for example. Um, now, with that process, compared to sending a payment request either via you know text or via email, um, if you are set taking payment uh, over the phone, you really have to train in the process. There's a lot of kind of compliance requirements around it uh, that have to be refreshed. So, I think one thing is simplifying the operational process piece. The second thing is around minimizing risks. So, um, paying and sending a link. Uh, and a request for payment is a really secure way to take a payment. Uh, like I said, um, it has similarities to uh, taking a payment online, for example. So it allows uh, retailers to really minimize that risk of fraud, um, but also minimizes their cost of staying compliant from operating an alternative process, which is not just a one-off thing, but needs to be maintained. So those are some of the benefits that we see. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know if that uh, resonates, James, with, with what you've seen. Yeah, definitely. I, I think. Well, I see. I see different things. So the, the process, yes, and the the compliance element of taking ad hoc payments. But the biggest challenge I see for customers is is technology solution and the flexibility around incremental payments when it's not just a yeah, it's not a fast fashion where I bought it and it's sent because uh, it's gone out the door the next day. So long lead time items, especially like custom made jewelry. So Definitely. things can change during that process. You see in other luxury clients, well, you know, people are getting custom-made rugs and the initial spec is drawn up off of a, um, you know, a quote. 
but that might change two or three times during the the project life cycle and each time the cost goes up and it's yeah there are there are lots of interesting use cases i think around where flexibility in, in payment management is needed yeah and i think again if you if you link it back to as so i totally recognize that and if you link it back to the way that we develop based on use case so in terms of having uh lots and lots of payment method the payment requests being linked to a single order that's not something that's out of the box for us at the moment but what uh, you can and, and that's that's simply for the fact that it's not something that's been requested of us uh previously or commonly um what you can do though uh either custom or, or building on top of our integrations is actually build that kind of as a middle layer um and uh depending on the platform that you're using that'll be more or less effort involved but then that allows the retailer to really set uh, their preferences. So in the case that you described, depending on the way that the retailer works, there's a number of different variables that they might want to think about. So do you want a single invoice that's updated with different payments as they're taken? Or do you want multiple invoices for the different payments that are then associated with an order? And some of that flexibility, the kind of devil is in the detail there. Um, and being able to build that custom, which you know you can do on top of the uh, out of the box solutions that we offer, and then really allow them to build something that's super kind of specific and fit for purpose for their needs. Yeah, that's that's a really good point actually, because you've obviously got the finance stakeholders involved in this as well, and the e-commerce team. Their use case is, I want to be able to take a- additional payments um, or want to change payments, so they're not as worried about what the um, the uh, kind of reconciliation and operational implications are because they're about satisfying the customer, maintaining the customer transaction. But finance, from a reporting and a reconciliation point of view, there's going to be specific needs. And as you'll well know, it can vary. One finance team might want multiple invoices, the other one, because the way their accounts is set up, it only a single invoice and therefore they need that consolidation. Exactly. The joys of, of satisfying multiple stakeholders in projects. But that leads on, there's almost like a perfect segue, Josh, into the next question, which is one of the frustrations I've seen over the years of finance teams is delays in settlement. Um, wanting to be able to, to, to be able to get the reporting done ASAP and settle quickly. Which payment methods do you enable daily settlement? Yeah, so we, uh, I guess there's two things here. One is uh, the ability to receive funds every day. Um, which is something that we allow merchants to do every day, every working day. Um, and then the second thing is the delay between the transaction uh, and the time that they receive those uh, payments. So uh, what we're able to do, um, especially for, for large retailers or where there's a particular need, uh, we are able to, for most of the payment methods that we offer, including card, but also those European a- APMs that we talked about, like Ideal, we're able to offer a settlement the day after the transaction. Um, and what we find is that, yeah, in the majority of cases, that's uh, the combination of those two things, the ability to receive funds daily, but also to be able to have the payout the day after the transaction um, really meets most needs. I think in terms of, you know, the additional uh, requirements that the finance stakeholder might have and might be thinking about, there's a couple of other things that we offer. So um one is, you know, fairly basic and intuitive, but really uh, saves a lot of time and effort is making sure that the uh, name of the um, settlement file that we generate matches the uh, payment reference uh, when the retailer receives the payment so that that reconciliation piece can be really easily done. Um, but also having integrations into uh, a number of the top uh, accounting platforms um, really sets us up well to uh, offer those finance stakeholders some really kind of simplified processes on that side. 
Excellent. Um, and, and linked into the whole finance uh, conversation, yeah, that integration piece, um, the integrations of the accounting software is always a question that comes up. Um, yeah, what? How much do we have to manually do? What can be directly pushed into? What? Which, which vendors do you most frequently work with in that space? Yeah, so in uh, the UK, predominantly Zero and QuickBooks, we do also, this is something where, you know, accounting standards, something that uh, I was not massively familiar with the divergent European accounting standards as I uh, joined Molly, but something I've become really aware of. So it's a really different, uh, different, and similarly to the the payment landscape, country by country is very different across uh, countries. So we work with a number of different providers uh, across Europe, but in the UK, the most common uh, providers that we see and that we work with are Zero and QuickBooks. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. Actually, they are. They are very well targeted to e-commerce businesses as well, um, versus some of the like larger, more established places. <laughs> oh, James, I sneeze. We're going to have to pull up. Yeah. No, that's good. It's real. It keeps it real. <laughs> um, bless you. Uh, okay, got one final question for you um, today, which is talking about integrations, and people always want to know this. What is a typical integration path and timeline for a new e-commerce business that uh, switch into Molly for their online payments? What do you, top- do you typically say to people from, uh, you know, getting an agreement to onboarding, test, and then live, and and what is what what support does Molly provide through that engagement? I wish I had a good answer to what a typical integration looks like. One day, I'm sure I'll have it, um, but as you'll uh, no doubt uh, find yourself super difficult to generalize. I think. Um, one thing that I would say is that we're, uh, something we're really proud of is that we're rarely the limiting factor when it comes to the speed of integration. Uh, and that's something that we're really competitive about predominantly with ourselves is about being able to offer you know, really high quality integrations at speed. So to give you one example, maybe just to kind of, uh, set broad parameters around this. So, um, for a, a Magento retailer, so potentially, you know, one of the more bespoke and customized platforms that we that we work with and that our merchants work with um came to us just before black friday at the end of last year um and they were having issues with their current provider and wanted to change uh in time for black friday and so we were able to go from signed agreement to live and processing in two days um for that retailer and that was something that you know they were really happy with we were very happy with ourselves we've done it quicker but to be able to go from you know signed agreement all the way through to live and production processing really well um, uh, on a Magento platform was uh, something that we were very happy with, and I think it really comes down to a lot of the kind of pay- uh, the sorry the um, agency and integration partners that we work with um, that by now already know us uh, can deliver a really uh, high quality uh, integration at speed. Actually, yeah, I know. I love that question because it's a deliberately obtuse uh, one to ask people if there's a typical integration path they can talk through. I think it's the process people want to know, and know that it's not just here you go, here's some here's some um, APIs and documentation, and off you go with your developer. I think that's what often concerns people around payments is that they won't get the support if they're experiencing any integration challenges. Yeah, and I think we 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 solve that in a number of ways, right? So. Um, internally and in-house uh, with our operational and support teams, but also the local teams that we have, whether that's our sales teams who are, you know, really actually impressively technically uh, proficient, but also our uh, sales engineer and solution engineer teams 
that work with uh, retailers to get that live and to do any testing that they want. But also, you know, the partners that we work with, uh, the integration partners, the agencies that, you know, really by now are extensions of our team, um, really well versed in those integrations. Um, so I think that's key to our success in getting that up and running. Um, and something that for sure is a kind of uh, foundation for the whole uh, speed and, and quality of integration that we're able to deliver is our onboarding, which is fully digital, um, can be managed very quickly um, uh, yeah, through our portal. Uh, so that really allows businesses to get up and running quickly too. Cool. And if um, if anybody wants to probe a bit deeper on any of the features, functionalities, all that integration and, and onboarding piece, um, who do they reach out to or how do they contact? Yeah, so uh, there's multiple ways uh, via our website, either signing up or um, with our contact uh, sales team form. Uh, also very happy to have people reach out to me directly, uh, either on LinkedIn or on email, josh.guthrie at molly.com. Fantastic. Um, yeah, and anyone who reaching out, um, obviously do let, do let Josh know if it was because you heard through the podcast. We always like to know you know, how well the episodes land and and, uh, and yeah what interest people have in the um, technology we talk about so that'd be very very useful uh, really appreciate you coming on today Josh hope it's been an alright experience for you absolutely 10 out of 10 yeah excellent uh, and thanks everyone as always for listening we do appreciate it um, if you've got any ideas for exciting topics for the future do let us know we would love you to subscribe we send out episode alerts every week and we'd love a rating if you haven't already given us one on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, etc. Thanks very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.